The Lord provides. Nod your head if you're familiar with that truth. Yeah, all of you, most of you should be. This is a truth that I'm imagining many of your parents instilled in you. It's a truth that your Christian friends remind you of. It's one that your pastor tells you about often, like last week, for example, where we looked at from 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul reminds us how a properly placed hope in the Lord who provides not only changes the way in which you view the things that God gives you, but also the way in which you use the things that the Lord provides you. The Lord provides. This is a truth that we are all familiar with, and today we are all familiar with, and today we get an opportunity to look at another aspect of this truth this morning, but this time from Matthew chapter 14. You might wonder, well, how does the sermon from last week and this week differentiate if you're talking about the Lord providing? Well, this week, and for most of our Christian lives, sometimes it's really, really good not to take a deep doctrinal dive into some subject. Sometimes it's good not to have some giant sermonic dissertation on a topic. Sometimes it's good just to be reminded of the beautiful, comfortable, familiar truth that the Lord provides. And as Christians, I think we need that more often than we'd like to admit. Because when you're familiar enough with a truth, when a truth becomes very familiar to you, that can lead to some pretty big problems, right? Especially when it comes to the Lord providing. You and I live in a time and a place and a culture. We live lives that, where God has richly, richly provided for every one of us. I mean, last week I explained to you how you're all rich, whether you think you are or not. And that's not just God calling you rich. The world is also calling you rich, right? And that's a, we have gotten so used to, so used to living lives where God provides for us that it becomes all too familiar. And familiarity with the truth from God's word can lead to a huge problem because, because what happens to you if you become very familiar with a truth of God's word, like this beautiful comforting truth that says the Lord provides, what happens to you when you become that familiar with it? Are you familiar with, at the risk of using that same word, are you familiar with the term familiarity breeds contempt? All right, let me tell you how this plays out in the life of a Christian when it comes to the truth of God's word. You become so familiar with the truth of God's word, a beautiful, comforting truth like the Lord provides, and you start to take it for granted. And when you take a truth of God's word for granted, you think about it less and less. And the less that you think about a truth of God's word, the more likely you are to forget it. You know and are familiar with this truth that says the Lord provides. But when you take it for granted, you forget. And when you forget that truth, what happens when a need in your life arises and God doesn't immediately provide for it? What happens? Doubt sets in. But you and I are comfortable. You and I are familiar with the truth that the Lord provides. So why in all the world do we doubt? Well, we doubt because we take things for granted. And when you take things for granted, you think about it less. When you think about it less, you're more likely to forget. And when a need arises in your life that's not immediately fulfilled, you doubt. You doubt the Lord's promise that he is always going to provide for you. And this is exactly what happened to the disciples in, in Matthew chapter 14 this morning. The, the news about Jesus of Nazareth had spread really quickly. Jesus had hopped into a boat and was heading across the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as that news spread that Jesus was traveling, the crowds began to grow. They walked on foot from town to town to town until they beat Jesus to the other side of the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And by the time that those crowds got there, do you remember what the text said, how many people were there? 5,000 men 
plus women and children. This was a huge amount of people that were gathered there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And the whole reason that they were there was so that they could see Jesus. They wanted more, right? They wanted more time with Jesus. They wanted to more teaching from Jesus. They wanted to have their needs provided for by Jesus. And when Jesus shows up on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and he disembarks from the boat, you know what he has for them? He has compassion. Right? And this is not just some sympathetic feeling that he feels sorry for these people. Now, this compassion, it is such a, a huge and big word in scripture. It's like, um, how, do, how do I best describe this? It's like pouring out your guts in mercy. It's kind of like the, the gut feeling you get when you look at somebody who's in need and you feel bad for him. You feel it in your bones. This is the kind of feeling that Jesus has for these people because, as Mark records, they are like a sheep without a shepherd. And so he disembarks from his boat, and in his compassion, you know what the first thing he does is? He provides for them. These people who had traveled a long distance to have an audience with Jesus, they brought along with them their sick. And so Jesus, he goes to them, and he provides for their physical needs and heals them. And he does this because he's moved by his compassion. The next thing he does, and, and Luke tells us about this. By the way, this is the only miracle in Jesus' ministry that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have this account recorded. And when you read them together, you, you get a fuller, greater picture of the things that happened that day. So Luke records that when Jesus showed up, he welcomed this crowd and he preached and taught them about the kingdom of heaven. Through his compassion, Jesus provided for them, provided for their spiritual need by preaching and teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And now the disciples come in, and this is where the, the problems kind of start. The disciples look out at this huge crowd amassed in this solitary place and they identify a need that the crowd is about to have. If everybody wants to turn to in their service folders to page 10, you can actually follow along with me as we go through this. On page 10, we're in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verse 15. The disciples, they identify this need that the crowd has. They, they, this is what uh, Matthew records for us. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. What is the need that the disciples identify for the people? They identify hunger. Right. Their identification of, the, of their need is not the problem, but the way in which they approach the problem, or the way in which they approach the need, that in and of itself is the problem. Because what do they do? They have the guy who is standing before them, who has and who will eventually provide for these people and yet they come up with this plan that has nothing to do with Jesus at all. They come up with a man-centered plan. They come up with a plan that, that actually sends people away from the one thing that is needful, from the one person who is needful. But Jesus, he doesn't listen to the disciples' plan. Instead, he has another one. Look at Jesus' plan in, in verse 16. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. At this point, you can probably imagine what the disciples are doing. They're looking at each other. And they look out to the crowd and they look to Jesus and back at themselves and they start pulling things out of their pocket. They come up with some first century Burt's Bees and some pocket lint. They go into their backpack and eventually they amass five loaves of bread and two small fish. Enough for barely a meal for one or two people. And they forgot. And their forgetfulness led to doubt. They doubted that with these five small fish and these two loaves that they'd be able to fulfill the Lord's instructions to give these people something to eat. I mean, how could they forget? How could they forget that beautiful, simple truth that you, that you and me are all too familiar with? 
that the Lord provides. I mean, after all, they had just watched it happen. They had just watched as Jesus provided for these people's physical needs by healing their diseases. They just watched as Jesus provided for their spiritual needs as he talked to them about the kingdom of heaven. And it's not just on this day that the disciples had seen the Lord Jesus provide for people. They had seen his first public miracle. Do you remember what that was? The first miracle that Jesus performed in his ministry? Well, if you don't remember, you're in the same camp as the disciples because they apparently forgot too. The first miracle that Jesus performed was a providing miracle. It was giving water, it was turning water into wine. The disciples saw all of this and they knew all of this. And yet standing there before the very one who could turn the tide on this need, provide for this need for these people, they come up with a human-centered plan that just wants to send everybody away. They knew this beautiful truth, but they took it for granted. And in taking it for granted, they forgot. And their forgetfulness led to doubt. Because as soon as Jesus turned their plan to send the people away on its ear and says, no, you give them something to eat, all they can do is doubt. How in all the world are we going to feed 5,000 men plus women plus children with a meal that is barely enough for two people? Their hearts are filled with doubt. And yet the Lord provides. Right now I'm staring at a, an audience, a congregation of sons and daughters of the Most High King who have been richly, richly provided for. We live in nice houses and apartments. We have reliable transportation. We have jobs where we work. We go to nice schools. I don't think ever in my life, ever in my life, have I wondered where in all the world my next meal is going to come from. And I, I, don't, I don't think right now that hunger is an issue that you guys are having either. We have full bellies. We have shelter over our head. We have clothes on our back. We know full well and are familiar with the truth that the Lord provides for us. And yet there still exist seasons and times in our life when we doubt this promise. And why does that doubt happen? You know, we read a, an account like this from the Gospels. It's hard to find yourself in this account, isn't it? It's hard to wonder how this account applies to you and to your life because here is Jesus standing before this large crowd, providing for their need, not in an ordinary way, but in a miraculous way, one of the biggest miracles that he performed during his ministry. And in our lives, we've never had Jesus stand before us. We've never had Jesus come and perform this miracle for us to provide for something that we need. And so it could be hard to identify with somebody or with an application in this reading. Sure, hunger may not be the thing that you need, or food may not be the the thing that you need at this moment, but that doesn't mean you don't have needs in this life. Not only am I looking at a, a congregation of sons and daughters of the Most High King, but I'm also looking at people who are struggling in their Christian walk, people who also have needs in this life. And it may not be hunger, but every single person in this room has needs. Some of you have shared those needs with me. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that all of your needs probably fit into one of three categories at this moment. They either fall into, your needs either fall into a relational category, they fall into a mental or emotional category, or they fall into a spiritual category. And so what happens when you're all too familiar with that truth, that truth that the Lord provides, and you have a need that shows up in your life that the Lord doesn't immediately provide for? What happens? Well, when you've taken that truth for granted long enough, you think about it less. You think about it less. You tend to forget the truth. And then when that need arises, you doubt. 
when you doubt that promise that the Lord provides, it's happening for one of two reasons. Either one, God's not acting quickly enough to give you the thing that you think you need. Or two, God's given you something that you need, but it wasn't the exact thing that you're looking for. Does that make sense? These are the two main reasons why we would doubt the Lord's promise to provide. And these two reasons send us into an even deeper downward spiral of doubt where we not only call into question the Lord's provisional promises, but we also call into question the way he feels about us and the way he cares for us. And if we think that the Lord isn't going to provide for us, where do we turn? We turn to ourselves to provide for our needs. We turn to other people to provide for our needs. We trust and fear and love in other things to provide for our needs. Like if your need is something to do with one of your relationships, be it your spouse or friends or family, and it doesn't seem like the Lord is providing for you at this very moment, you often turn to something, to a solution that is man-made and that is often sinful. And when has a sinful solution ever worked to a problem that you've tried to solve on your own? It hasn't. Don't try it. It never will. If your need is emotional or mental and you're struggling in that way and God hasn't given you the exact thing that you think you need, you'd end up turning to some sort of substance or crutch to make yourself feel better to solve your own problem instead of leaning on the Lord who provides. And that just makes you feel good for a while, but it doesn't actually permanently solve anything. When your problem is spiritual, when it comes to matters of your Christian walk and of your faith, and you are struggling, and you have a need, and it doesn't seem like God is providing for that need in this very moment, you turn to other gods, man-made gods, things, to try to solve your spiritual need, and that never works. Whether your doubt is coming from the fact that you don't think God is providing for you quickly enough, or the fact that you don't think God is giving you exactly what you need, the doubt still exists, and Satan loves it. He loves it because he loves to pick at that, at that wound of doubt until it becomes this festering infection. And when that infection of doubt has taken root in your heart, that's when he begins to whisper the lies. Well, if God really loved and cared for you, he'd give you exactly what you want, right? If this Christian life is supposed to be so good, if it's supposed to be so filled with love and care and provision from your God, then why in all the world do you have all of these needs popping up? You're all too familiar with the promise that the Lord provides and so is Satan. And Satan is going to do everything he possibly can to get you to doubt that promise. And when he instills even a speck of doubt in your heart, he is winning. And he is going to work as hard and as often with as many of you as he can to get you to doubt that very promise. But I want, you to, I want to remind you of this fact. That the lies the devil tells you, not only are they not true, but they hold no weight. And there is an entirely different truth that I want you to bask in, a simple, comforting truth that is all too familiar to you. But I never want you to take it for granted again. I never want it to be just this old, familiar truth. The truth is this. Even when you don't think the Lord is providing for you, even when the Lord doesn't seem to be giving you the things that you want or the things you think you need, the Lord's promise stands. The Lord always has, and he always will provide for you. And sometimes he provides for you in ways that maybe you weren't expecting, in ways that you weren't even looking for. I mean, that's exactly what happened to the disciples as they're standing there. They're looking at each other, picking through their pocket lint and these five loaves of bread and the two small fish, and they're wondering how in all the world they're going to carry out this command from Jesus. And Jesus says, give them to me. The Lord provides. He takes the bread and he lifts his eyes to the heavens and he gives thanks. And he breaks the bread 
And he turns where? He turns back to his disciples, the very ones he instructed to give the crowd something to eat. And he hands them the bread and the fish and the disciples go out and they give it to the multitudes. The Lord provided a way for them to fulfill his instruction to give to these people. And as the disciples passed everything out, the bread and the fish, everyone ate to the point of satisfaction. The Lord provides. And the Lord provides in abundance because after everybody was filled more than they could possibly imagine, the disciples went around and they collected a basket each, a basket each of the leftover bread and that's af- leftover bread and fish. And that's after, that's after 5,000 men plus women plus children had eaten. The Lord provided that day. And it wasn't just a physical provision that he gave that day to assuage the disciples' doubts and to prove without a shadow of a doubt who he was, the, the Lord Jesus provided a miracle that showed he was the true son of God and to prove that he makes good on his promise to always provide for you. The Lord provides, and that is a promise that you can stand on. And look, I know what it's like to try to walk your, in, this, in this world. I know what it's like to live the Christian life and to be the, the temptation will always exist to doubt God and to doubt in his provisional promises, to doubt in that familiar promise on which you stand that the Lord provides. I can say that to you, that that this temptation will exist because I've wallowed in the filth of my doubt far too often in this life. But I don't want you to suffer that same thing. Instead, this morning, I want you to chew on these promises that have assuaged my doubt and that Jesus makes all all too sure for you. Jesus promises you that he is the Lord who provides. Jesus promises you that he is the good giver of every gracious gift in this world. Jesus promises you that he has compassion on you, that he knows your every need, that he cares for you, and he gives you what is best in this life. And if you don't think that the Lord is providing for you what you need, if you don't think that the Lord is providing for you in the way in which you think it should happen or on your timetable, well, then think about this. Maybe the reason that he's not giving you what you think you need is because it's not in your best interest. Maybe the reason that God isn't isn't giving you things on your exact timetable to provide for your need is because he's trying to teach you a lesson. Just like he did for the disciples. And it's not just a lesson about how he provides. It's a lesson on how big your God is and and on how gracious he is. Because look, God provided and took care of your biggest needs already. And this is seen most clearly in his son. The son who was provided as your perfect substitute. The son who proved who he was by a miracle of provision. The son who by his perfect life and innocent death provided for you a forgiveness for all of your doubt and your forgetfulness. The son who by his resurrection from the dead assures you of this promise that your sins are forgiven and that heaven stands open. The son who gives you his word, which is truth, and he sets you apart with this truth. The son who gives you a faith, which he promises to grow and he does grow it. The son who continues to pour out his blessings, who continues to provide for you by growing you, growing with you in your relationship with him, by growing you in your Christian walk and by growing you in love for your neighbor. The Lord always provides. And if God was willing to do that for you, if the Lord was willing to give you his son to take care of your biggest needs in the most unimaginable way, the needs that you and I could never take care of on our own, sin, death, and the devil, then why in all the world would we ever have to doubt that God is going to provide for our daily needs? Look at how Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. 
Paul says in, this is on page nine in your service folder, Romans 8, 31 and 32, Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you see what Paul is doing here? He's pointing to you to that, to what I just told you. God has already provided for you by not sparing his son, but giving him for you as the the lamb whose blood was slain to pay for your sins. God gave up his son and provided you with with the certainty of forgiveness and and certainty of the life to come. And if God was willing to do that, Paul says, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Paul's saying, not only is there no need to doubt that the Lord is going to provide for you, but when we cling to this promise by faith, we can expect that to happen. We can expect it to happen because God promises it. And when God makes you a promise, it's already as good as done. And at the very end of the day, sure, God may not be providing for you in the way that you want or even in the way you expect, but do your expectations change the reality of God's promises? Absolutely not. Because the reality of God's promises are sure. And this is the promise that he makes you, that he loves you, that he has compassion on you, He knows your needs and will provide them. And as you continue on your Christian walk, God grants you faith that assails any doubt in that promise that the Lord provides. He always has and he always will. Amen.